Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. We are so happy to be here with the Manuscript Academy success story. And on that note, I am so happy to introduce our new joint team. We've got John Cusick, Vice President of Folio Literary Management, and writer Molly McCaffrey. Welcome, you guys. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yay, go team! So let's just dive in. We want to hear all about you guys, how you guys came together and how this new beautiful book baby is going to be made and all the exciting things you guys have for your future. So first, John, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you represent at Folio? Yeah, sure. So my name is John Cusick. I'm a literary agent at Folio Literary and Folio Junior. And my main focus is young adult and middle grade fiction with a little bit of uh, adult genre stuff like sci-fi and fantasy thrown in. And Molly, tell us about you. Where are you from and, you know, kind of what makes you tick? Oh, okay. Well, I grew up in New Jersey and I now live in Kentucky because my husband and I took jobs here teaching creative writing. But I, I quit teaching five years ago to focus on writing. Oh. And what's it been like for you so far? Like, tell us a little about your book. Is this your first book? Maybe oh, submitted yeah, a lot sure. of places. Well, so I started writing after college. I was afraid to write when I was in college, like a lot of people. And then I decided to go to graduate school to study creative writing, which, you know, now I look back and say, was that the right decision? I'm not even sure. But um, although it got me here, so you can't play that what if game. And after I finished graduate school, I started teaching creative writing. And during that time, I published short stories. And I published two books with a really, really small press that won't even sell on Amazon with a very literary focus. And it was a book of stories and a memoir. I'll be honest, that's kind of strange because it's a little bit like a tree falling in the forest when your book's not for sale on Amazon. Maybe you get one or two big reviews. So I decided that I wanted to change my life. And I decided to quit teaching and leave academia and to focus on becoming a writer who writes for mainstream readers to try to get my books into the hands of readers. And all of a sudden, my colleagues went from being academics and college professors to being writers. I joined SCBWI. Pretty soon after that, I got hooked into Manuscript Academy. And all of a sudden, I knew all these people and was learning all these things. And it really really changed my life. I became a different writer. I found my voice. You know, for years, I've been trying to find my voice, and I finally found it. And then I wrote three young adult novels. This one is the third one. I queried both of the other two and decided that they needed to be shelved because they weren't the book that I wanted to debut with a big publisher. My gosh. I, you know, I love so many things you tapped in with there. Um, and we always say it's like once you find the community that you need, this world just turns so magical. And I feel like I got that from you. Like it was really like a total life change. So interesting. Yes, yes totally. So brave, Molly, that is the bravest story because <laughs> like I know for myself, like I'm still teaching at the college level. You know? Are you? I am because I like their energy, you know, but 
sometimes, and I've heard my friends say, oh, that takes away. It takes away from your time and your focus. And I think that you've really made a, just, a, just a kind of a badass decision. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I was teaching full time and I was an instructor. So it was five classes a semester. And I did manage to keep writing, but I wanted to be shooting for a, writing a book a year, a manuscript oh, a year. And I, so that's why I walked away. And, you know, and we, we were getting older and becoming more successful. So we had the opportunity to do that. That's so great. So, John, let's turn to you now. So, sure. so Molly's, you know, query came into your inbox. Can you first talk to us about what you're looking for when you're kind of attacking the slush pile? And then what made Molly stand out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in years gone by, I would have answered that question first by saying I'm looking for a high concept or a strong concept. And I think I think that that still remains absolutely true. But I've, I've sort of found a new way of, of talking about it or thinking about it. And that is to say, I'm looking for something that I think teens are really going to be drawn to. That sounds like really obvious, right? But I think, you know, I'm always looking at what is the bit of kind of wish fulfillment? What is the thing that's going to draw a a lover of YA into a project where they have to know what happens next? They want to be involved in that story. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the story needs to be super happy or uplifting all the time or that it necessarily needs to be total escapist entertainment. There are a lot of different kinds of genres and stories that can really mobilize a reader's feelings. But I'm always looking for something, no matter what the genre, that really feels like it's going to speak to teens where they are and and speak to what they care about. And one of the things I love about Molly's writing and, and, you know, having talked to her and gotten to know her more as a person is that I think that she's always keeping the reader first and foremost in her mind. She's always thinking about her audience, what's going to appeal to them, what's going to strike a chord with them. And I think that's really great. I mean, I really appreciate any any author who kind of puts their reader first, in a sense, and, and is thinking about their book as a, as a project or a gift that they're making explicitly for someone else. And I think that's the kind of energy that Molly brings to her work. So that's sort of what I saw, I think, in, in, her, in her pitch. First of all, it was, a, it was a great concept that felt really of the moment and interesting and compelling. But it was also something I could just see teens either two years from now when when the book comes out or right now today, finding something that is going to speak to their anxieties as well as give them a way to kind of work through the stress in their lives in a kind of fun and adventurous story. Wow, thank you for saying all that. That's so nice to hear. I was like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, though. I mean, it's, you know, I'm just reflecting what what she brings to her work. So I think it's, um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I mean, Molly, so like, were you just melting when he was saying that? I mean, my uh, gosh. I, yeah, yeah, yes, I was. And I was thinking about what we were going to talk about today. And one thing that we might want to talk about why I so quickly agreed to work with John is because of the way he understood and talked about my work. I was curious about what it's like to teach writing and then go forward working on all of your books this way and learn that you've succeeded. Have you brought back anything that you would want to tell your former self or your students through this process? I think that the most important thing maybe I've learned as a writer, and I don't think I understood this when I was teaching, was that you have to be willing to shelve projects and move on. Like I said, I've wrote two other young adult manuscripts since I quit teaching and I did shelve them. And you know, it's funny, I go back now to my first graduate thesis, and it was a young adult story. 
And they said, you can't write that in graduate school where I went to school because I went to a very traditional program. And so I had to add the mother character as the point of view character. And now I wish I had, could go back in time and say, no, this is what I want to write. And I wish that I would have stayed more true to myself during that time. And it's very important to figure out who you are as a writer. Although I say that, and it just took me a long time to figure that out. And I think that that's life and you can't force it. But I do think it's really important to be willing to let go of who you used to be as a writer or books that you've written, manuscripts that you've written that just aren't going to happen. And I, I hear I one of my friends just revised a manuscript from 12 years ago that she's been trying to sell for 12 years and she is agented. And I just thought, no, I want you to write a new book. I want you to start something new. So I think that's really important. Though, of course, it's hard emotionally to let go of something you've been working on that long. It is. I do believe, Jessica, I don't know if you agree that once you accept the mindset that every book and every manuscript you write leads to your next one, it's a lot easier. Ah, but how do you get there? It's so easy to hold that in your brain, but emotionally, how do you get there? I just know for me that it's kind of becomes easier when you have a book come out with a small press or like my husband's a writer and his books have come out and you see how valuable it is to find the exact right book to debut with, you're willing to let it go more easily. I would hop in and and add, I think if you you remind yourself as a writer that no book is, totally encapsulates you or your talent, and that if something isn't working, it's not a question of your ideas or your kind of like creative center, it's a question of your tools and the execution. You know, so I I like to think of writing in this very sort of like workmanlike way, because I think it takes some of that sting out that you're talking about, Jess, where emotionally you feel really, um, you know, crushed if something is rejected. And, And I don't think you can ever completely get past that. But I think you can get less precious about it when you think, okay, well, like the the creative impulse in me is something that is irreplaceable and, and sacred if you want to get a little bit woo-woo. But how you execute on it is a craft-based thing that you learn and improve on. And if a carpenter builds a, a table one day and it's not that great, you know, the next day he's going to build an even better one. But he's not going to, like, project himself onto table number one. Or try to sell a table that could hurt people. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking this. I've never really thought of writing as, you know, like, like I'm a pretty good cook, right? Like, I can, like, I can make some really good meals. And sometimes they're just, you know, like, something's off with it. And you can't figure out what happened. You know, and I feel like that can happen with a piece of work where whether it's been over-revised or overthought or the market's not right, that it's just not the right thing. And just yeah. thinking of it that way, it's just like, okay, you just need to, you know, just put your energy somewhere else and then pivot over here and put your energy somewhere else and that you will find the essential voice. And then once you have the essential voice, you'll find the readers that are drawn to that voice that you need it to be. So I, can we go back to this? Because Jessica and I've talked a lot about like the MFA versus just kind of being in the trenches. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to be totally honest answering this question. And then if you guys want to go back and edit later, you can, because maybe you don't want this brutal level of honesty. We like Um, honesty. Okay, good. Well, you know, like I said, I went to graduate school for seven years. And only looking back now, do I realize that probably wasn't the right place for me, because you are taught to focus on things like where I went to school, very traditional creative writing programs where they focus on reading the canon and writing in the way that emulates that. 
But there was so much focus on being literary and on things like sentence construction or beautiful description that I felt totally adrift. Even though I was succeeding in the program in the sense that I was getting good grades and I was getting approved to go on to the next year, I didn't feel at home at all. And so when I finally left academia, I decided I had to work hard to find new colleagues because I was writing all by myself. And that's why I joined SCBWI and started looking for places like Manuscript Academy to join. And what I realized was I learned more from those different places than I did in graduate school. And I've talked about this with other people who went to graduate school with me and the people who are trying now to write for a larger audience and for more readers have found the same thing. We've all learned more from conferences and panels online and workshops online than we did in graduate school. The one thing that I learned in graduate school was discipline. And maybe, you know, writing a lot, you know, keep you right every day, all the time, and that's your focus. But I don't feel like I learned about publishing. I don't think I learned what makes a good story. It's always shocking to me that I didn't learn how to write a synopsis and I went to graduate school for seven years, or that I didn't learn how to how to or, you know, create a story arc. I didn't know those things until I started going to SCBWI conferences and other conferences around the country. So I feel like I've learned more from immersing myself in the industry and becoming part of this community of writers than I ever learned in school. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did to enhance that knowledge and build your community? And like you mentioned going around the country, did you actually like pack a bag and drive to all these conferences? <laughs> I did. I made a commitment. Well, I had been hearing, I, I wanted to write young adult. I kind of started writing young adult just a few months before I stopped teaching and so people kept saying, you have to join SCBWI. And I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't write for kids. And I, I didn't realize that young adult was part of it too. So I finally tried to go to the conference in my region in uh, Nashville, the Mid-South Conference, and it was sold out. So I immediately signed up for the New York Conference. And that was just an amazing experience. And the crazy thing that happened was because I knew no one in this part of the industry I emailed everyone from my region who was going and said, let's get together for lunch. And because that was this, turned out to be like a 25-person lunch that I organized in New York City, then the Mid-South Committee asked me to be on their conference committee. That's Honestly, amazing. I know. It was great. So I got really hooked into that community. I started going to the New York Conference every year and going to the Mid-South Conference. I mean, being on the committee and being an active part of that. And I immediately started making friends with, I mean, actually a lot of agents and editors I'm still friends with now and getting to know more people. Also, my husband's a writer and he writes in a different genre. He's a suspense writer. So I go to all the suspense conferences with him and one of them moves around the country. So we go all kinds of places. And I just felt like I learned so much. And, and I did start doing online things through Writer's Digest, through Manuscript Academy and other places. So, oh, and I joined a writing group too. <laughs> Can you tell us some tips you have for building community that way? I love how you started something and that created so much goodwill for you and it opened doors for you. Sure. I mean, I think that the most important thing is that you try to reach out to people and help each other. Like there are people I write to and say, what are you working on today? How's your week going? And then, you know, inevitably they, oh, I'm working on this pitch or I'm working on this chapter. Can you help me? And I find that that always comes back to me many times over. I'm sure you all find the same thing. Yeah, we absolutely do. And John, she, Molly sounds like the perfect person to sign. Like if <laughs> I was an agent, I would have signed her. <laughs> I mean, I'm so excited for you guys. So thank you. 
You know, John, you've t- Molly's talked about like where she's been on this whole journey. And I know that the people at home want to hear from you again. I know you've been in other podcasts with us, but like right now, like what did her query specifically have in it that appealed to you? We could talk about the fact that I didn't query John first. I did the session with Manuscript Academy. Uh, first. Oh, what was that like? Were you nervous to meet? And like, how did, did you do it over webcam? Like, tell us what it was like. It was just truly excellent. We connected right away. And the reason is that he expressed an immediate understanding of what I was trying to do and who I was as a writer and who I wanted to reach with this project. And I felt like I so admire it when people can empathize and he could empathize not only with me as a writer, but with the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when we do a manuscript wishlist meeting, you know, the agent gets a, a query ahead of time, sort of the pitch as like a reference. And I knew from... The sample materials before Molly and I even got on the phone that I I wanted to request it and read the whole thing. And it was, as I recall, the last call of the night for me. And Molly, I'm so glad to hear you say that I was was very patient. I feel like you got me at my worst because it was the end of the day. (laughs) I I really wanted to talk to you. Like I was looking forward to it the entire evening. Like I was down to to chat about your book because I was really excited about it. But I was like so tired and ornery. And I thought, oh, no, uh, the poor author is going to get me at my like most frayed. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that didn't come I, across. <laughs> or maybe you're too polite. I know. <laughs> it didn't. And I was expecting it. I was like, this is the worst situation. It's clearly late, you know, and you're uh, and plus you're an hour ahead of me. I felt terrible. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, that stuff happens. You know, what are you going to do? But No, we clearly, I mean, I think we clicked pretty quickly over the phone, over Skype. We knew we had sort of a similar way of talking and thinking about writing. Julie, you said earlier in this, in this recording, John, doesn't Molly sound like the perfect person to sign? And of course I do, I feel that way. And and I think that we are a particularly good match. And I think that that's a really important thing to kind of underscore when you're searching for an agent. Yes, there are agents who are you know, different skill levels, different experience levels, you know, maybe there are some agents that you want to work with more than others. But by the same token, there are agents who have a bunch of different kinds of styles, and who approach Mm -hmm. writing and selling in, in their own unique way, everybody's different. And you do want to find someone that you kind of align with philosophically, because there's a lot of different ways to think about writing and and what it means to be a writer. And I think it was really clear that uh, from the outset that from her pitch to her her actual line level writing that Molly had been doing a lot of thinking about her work, had been polishing it, really knew her market. And when we spoke and she started telling me a little bit more about, you know, how she had these other projects where she had which she had set aside, that to me is is like music to my agent's ears because it tells <laughs> me that she's got the that like really tough internal discipline that I wish I had more of as a writer myself, where you can like just set things aside and say like, hey, it's not the right time for this, or I can move forward and pivot. And I think in today's publishing business, that's so important. And that's really what separates the authors who who sort of stick around and, and build over time to the writers who, you know, maybe have a book or two and then kind of vanish from the scene. I agree completely. I thought Absolutely. And it was just really nice to talk to someone and connect. I've done, I think I did a total of seven Manuscript Academy sessions over the, you know, one-on-one sessions over the past two years. And you know, what was interesting is 
sometimes you really connect with someone and sometimes you don't and you think, okay, this person, this agent isn't a match for me, but no matter what, I always learned a lot and it was totally invaluable. But I will say that when I talked to John, we just immediately connected. And so it was so refreshing and I've done pitches uh, at conferences as well. And it can be really hard to connect with people. Um, I think agents are inundated in a way that they weren't when I started in the industry I don't know what year people started taking email queries, but now agents. (laughs) Yes, I remember a huge shift. Everything quadrupled. Mm -hmm. Okay, what year was that, Jessica? I would say probably 2007, 2008. That would be my guess. Okay, because I finished my first book, which I really, I don't consider a good book at all, but from my master's program in 2000, and I started, I queried, I think 12 people, And I think I heard back from 10 people that would never happen now um, because it was all through the mail. And I think now agents get so many queries and they're so inundated. It's great that they're more accessible, but I worry that they're overwhelmed and that they, a lot of good writers or maybe good projects get lost in the shuffle. I do worry about that sometimes. I also think that because it's so incredibly easy to send an email, you know, you don't have to spend the time to print it out, fold it, mail it, that people just try any agent who is an agent versus doing the research that they did before. So yeah, we used to get, I would say, 10 to 15 paper queries a day, and now it's easily 40 by email. And I think that's a huge part of it. I agree. You have to do the work of printing it and wait, you know, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you say that because that's something I did differently on this manuscript. My first YA manuscript from a few years ago, I didn't send it to that many people before I realized it wasn't big enough. You know, it didn't have enough of a hook. It didn't have enough of a high concept. And then, but the next one I really believed in, but it had some issues with it that are hard to explain So I did send it to 100 agents, and I got a lot of full requests and a lot of interest, but I I realized it was not going to happen. But then my friend, I have a friend who's an illustrator, and he's a successful illustrator, and he said to me, you need to be querying for this new project that I just queried John about. You need to be picking the best people in the industry. You need to query the best agents. You shouldn't just query anybody just to get an agent. And I took that to heart. And so I only queried people I thought were the best and people who I had formed relationships with over the past four years or so. You know, people who had requested a previous manuscript and rejected it kindly, I um, queried them too. And I think that's really important. I think there's a strong desire on the part of a writer to say, I'll take any agent who will have me. And I think that's a mistake. Just as a message of hope to all the writers out there, you've been rejected more than 100 times. (laughs) You had a bunch of books that you had to shelve and still it worked out because you kept going. Thank you. I kind of feel nervous about telling people I sent out my first query so long ago. But I mean, I sent out 12 from my master's thesis. It wasn't a lot. But I also feel, I'm sure you all agree, as soon as you send the first batch of like five or 10 queries, you learn so much about your project immediately. Do you all feel that way? Can you tell us more, like the kind of rejections you're getting or just how it feels when you hear back? No, it's not even about the response. I mean, the response is, of course, that's on another level of helping you. But I just mean, as soon as it goes out of your email box, you go back and you look at what you sent and you suddenly are able to see it from a different point of view. Like you imagine that you're the agent or the editor looking at it and you think, oh, wow, that is not exactly what I'm trying to do. And so there's just this shift in perspective where you can step outside yourself more. 
I think it's the same thing as taking time off from a manuscript. You know, if you put it in the drawer for a year, it's the same, it has the same effect where you get some distance from it as soon as you start sending it out. And of course, as soon as you start getting feedback, especially if you can do a session with someone either online or in person, then you start to see things you didn't see. So I, I think that's invaluable to put your work out there. But I do, I do think it's important to make sure it's really ready too, which is hard to do. A lot of people just get an email and send it right away. Yeah, it concerns me when people do that, when they send it out to everybody all at once without getting any feedback, because then you don't have any room to pivot. Right. You're right. Well, you all give the advice, and lots of people do, that you should only you should send in batches, like five or 10 at a time, and then wait until you hear back from somebody to send five or 10 more. And I think that's excellent advice. Did you get any advice in your sessions or when talking with agents that helped you pivot in a way that gave you a better sense of success? Yes. Like I said, I did six Manuscript Academy sessions for the project that I'm working on now, and everything was invaluable. You know, and there were, I think out of six, four people were really interested and two people were, you know, like, this, this isn't for me. But the funny thing is, two of those people, I learned so much about queries. I I always feel like I have the perfect query and I know exactly how to query. I've been good at that for a couple of years now. But then they told me that I didn't have enough of my character coming through. And so I had to step back and say, what exactly is my character journey that's not coming through in this letter? And so I learned more about how to talk about the book in that way, which was really invaluable. And then I did, I had never done, I don't think I had done a 10 page session and I did that. And wow, that, that person was very excited. That agent was very excited about the book, but she also was able to really help me make it so much tighter And I thought that the first 10 pages were great, but then they became even better. Mm -hmm. I've loved you guys' story and (laughs) so much. I can't even tell you. It's like, I feel like sometimes when you wait for it, that you can get such a better dream, you know? And I feel like, I don't know. You guys kind of made my day. My book (laughs) made with you guys. This is so exciting. So Molly, what advice do you have for writers in the trenches? My big advice I already told you was to not be afraid to shelve a project and to move on to the next project. But And the other one I've kind of hinted at, but I'll say it again, is that you really cannot survive or succeed in the publishing industry without a writing community. And that networking is so crucial to success. And I don't mean networking with just people in publishing, uh, editors and agents. I mean networking with other writers. And not because they're going to help you get an agent or something. I had a friend tell me several years ago that he didn't he would give people his agent's name if they really wanted it but to him that was kind of like sharing a pair of underwear and he said it was just too personal you can't share that because you formed a connection you formed a bond and i do believe that and that's the kind of thing you learn when you're in this writing community that it's not just about knowing someone it's about continuing to try to come up with a better project a better idea And that you're not going to do that unless you're immersed in this community, online, in person. I mean, even just going to book launches or book events in your town can be really invaluable for connecting and learning about the industry. And John, do you have any advice for writers to add to that? First of all, everyone feels the way you do. I think that's really important. I think it it can be easy to assume that like everyone else is succeeding or that it's easier for everybody else or everyone else had their lucky break. I mean, I've never had. A relationship with an author where they said, wow, my journey was really easy. And like, (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I didn't have to struggle or, or you know, I didn't get frustrated or, or I think I'm great. I mean, I've only known maybe one or two writers who talked about themselves that way and they were, you know, not people you wanted to work with. So I think, <laughs> you know, keep in mind that everybody's going through their own struggle and their own journey with it. And it is 100% a marathon and not a sprint. I think there's this idea that like, if I just run fast enough and work hard enough, I can kind of like leap into the boat with some agent and they'll, and they'll take me out to sea with them, or they'll take me, you know, back to the mainland or whatever, wherever I'm going with that metaphor. But really, you know, once you have an agent, the process just continues. And even once you sell your book, the process continues. How are you going to sell that second book? Like, how are you going to sustain your career? So it is a marathon. It's going to involve a lot of things that probably are very humbling a lot of rejection, a lot of having to start over and a lot of feeling like you're taking one step forward, two steps back. But that's the journey. And that's what every successful writer you know of is either going through right now or is about to go through if they haven't hit that part of their career yet. So just don't be so hard on yourself and know that it is hard, but it's hard for everybody. Well, and because it's a journey, you need to know that you're going on it with somebody who you like. And I think that it's really cool that you guys did both the editorial session and the vibe check at the same time. Because like when I offer representation to somebody, I have to know that I'm going to want to get on the phone with them for the next 10 years and Mm. talk about their work. And you guys got to go in knowing that you liked each other on that sense. And you didn't like, you know how some people you pick up the phone and you hear their voice and you're like, ah, no, um, you didn't have that reaction. <laughs> yeah. You knew that you knew you'd be comfortable in that setting. Yeah. And that, that was really important. And it definitely felt that way. It was because I've had, you know, the opposite experience and it's, so it's really wonderful when you can connect to someone. It's so funny too, that John just mentioned that about how it's a marathon, not a sprint. I totally believe that my grew up with this, kind of cheesy running poster my dad had in the bathroom, like the powder room of our house. And it said, the race is not to the swift, but to those who keep on running. And when my parents finally like got rid of their home and gave everything away, I was like, I get that poster. And so now it's in my head. It's like the only ugly thing in my house. I think that, (laughs) but I look at it and I put it in my bathroom because it was there when I grew up. And I really believe that, that you just have to keep on working at it. And you did, and it worked out, and I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Molly, to close this out, how did you know that John was the perfect agent for you? When we first talked during our Manuscript Academy session, we really connected. He was really easy. It was so easy to talk to. And I've had instances when it was difficult to connect with someone in the industry before. So it was so refreshing to connect so easily. But honestly, I I do want to kind of tell this little quick story about when he called me. He said he was going to call And I thought, oh, this could be the call. And it's so funny because there are all these articles and videos online in the publishing industry about what to do when you get the call from an agent. But none of us who are unagented ever look at them. And we joke about it. We're (laughs) like, they're all out there. But why do we want to look at that until we're going to get the call? So that night I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to read all this and learn all this. And I prepared. And then he called. And it was just such a beautiful experience. It was like a phone call of the that you've never had before. It's the phone call that a writer always dreams of getting. And I was so moved and I told him I was moved. But then I also said, I went back to my preparation from the night before, which said that you say, okay, now there are other agents who are reading the full manuscript. I have to tell them, give them time, correct? And he said, yes, you have to, the industry standard is two weeks. And I thought two weeks, forget that. I'll give them a week. But so then I wrote to them all. And then that night I felt sick. 
And I was, I, I thought, why have I done this? This person just called me and said, I, I believe in you. This story is inspiring. I remember he said he thought it would be inspiring to uh, girls who would read it. And I couldn't stop thinking about that. So in the morning, I emailed him and said, can we talk? And we talked and I told him that I'd never had a phone call like that. And no one had ever expressed so clearly an understanding of what I was doing. There was no way I was going to sign with another agent. And I didn't want to wait. And I also felt bad asking these other agents to spend their weekend reading my manuscript. And so we agreed that I didn't need to wait and that I could tell them. And the great thing is these agents that I, who I told, they were all so supportive and, you know, they've tweeted at us, congratulations, some of them have. And so it was just that no one had ever really understood what I was trying to do so clearly and just got me that clearly. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so nice. (laughs) I'm glad that's that's recorded forever now. (laughs) I know people are going to want to follow you, Molly. How can they find you online? Well, I have a website, mollymccaffrey.com, because there aren't that many Molly McCaffreys in the world. Uh, And then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Molly McCaffrey as well. Great. And John, you as well? So I am online at foliojunior.com and also on Twitter at John M. Cusick is my handle. And so what, what are the next steps for you guys? Like, when can we start cheering for you? And will you, <laughs> you know, will you keep us updated on how it all goes? Absolutely. So we are revising Molly's manuscript right now, and we are um, preparing to go out on submission very, very soon, I should, I should think. Wow. Great. Yeah, Yay. Molly didn't know that, but it's, true. <laughs> <laughs> it's super exciting. I could, I could kind of sense that things are moving quickly. I should say too that John gave me excellent, an excellent suggestion that changed the book in in such an amazing way. And actually, not only did I do that suggestion, but it led me to other things. So it's been a great revi- revision process. Well, I'm so happy for you guys. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.